Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to the Academy I3 podcast, where our goal is to inquire, inspire, and impact the workforce in many different industries. My name is Charlie Rod Newson, and I am a Child Welfare Development Services Practice Coach at the Academy of Professional Excellence through San Diego State Research Foundation, where my goal is to work independently and in partnership with Riverside and Imperial County in coaching and workforce development services to public child welfare staff. I want to bring you a wealth of knowledge, experiences from our different guests that we bring on. And in today's episode, let's dive into our guests. Thank you everyone for tuning into another episode brought to you by the Academy of Professional Excellence. Today, we have a great guest to um, talk about just sort of the aspects of becoming a supervisor, sort of the process that she took from being a worker to now a supervisor, and really some great tips that she can share and some key highlights uh, in regards to those who are going to be thinking about becoming a supervisor. So let's get to it, and we'll introduce our guest, Christine. Hi, my name is Christine Haar, and I am a Children's Services Supervisor 2 out of our Valley region. So we cover the Moreno Valley and Paris areas. Um, I have been in my role for just over a year, a few months over a year, so not very long, but long enough to know that there is a lot of responsibility when you are a supervisor. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there, I, I can imagine just for someone who, you know, wants to go into becoming a supervisor, there's a lot of just, you know, natural transitions of just, you know, maybe there's some leadership qualities that someone might already have that just kind of gets uplifted and, and, and also maybe some areas of training and development too. So um, what do you feel for you has been just sort of the impacts that you've had as a supervisor? So like you said, the transition itself, because I myself have transitioned, I can help other workers transition, whether it's new workers that have never done any type of social services and they're coming out of induction fresh, what that transition looks like, as well as workers who maybe weren't carrying a caseload and now they are carrying a caseload. The transition to that is a huge transition. Or maybe even we have workers that transition from one program to another. and so you do kind of feel like you're taking steps backward and having to learn all over from the beginning. Um, So just that that really is impactful, getting people from all these different backgrounds and stages of their journey. And then also, I mean, as a supervisor, you have a huge impact because you're guiding, you're mentoring, you're training, you're correcting, to use that word actually, you're influencing them in more ways than you can even imagine and through ways that you didn't even realize you would be influencing others. So that is very impactful too. Nice, nice. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of different ways where you're able to support a worker, um, you know, both on the caseload side of it, but also from the standpoint of just professional development and personal development. Um, so yeah, that's really great. And what, in, in your eyes, what, what sort of influenced you to become a supervisor? I know this will kind of get into our next question, which is, you know, why, why become a supervisor? Well, I have been guided throughout my career. I've been here for 16 years and at different stages of my journey, I have been asked to go interview to supervise or coworkers have been like, you would be a great supervisor, but then people don't really tell you why or what would make you 
be a great supervisor, just them encouraging you to do it. So I've interviewed a, a lot of times. Um, it doesn't always happen on the first time, but I just decided I wanted to get to that next level here within the county and get back to um, just this team atmosphere that we have in all the various regions. And every region is different, but they're all wonderful regions to work for. I've worked for several of them myself, and I just wanted to get back to that side of it um, and really just see what it is going on again out in the field with our line workers. Uh, I had been away from myself for several years. So just wanting to kind of get back to that again. So I, I was not completely separated from the field work for a very extended amount of time. Right. And, and from what I hear, like, you know, in the role of a supervisor or even any sort of leadership type of role within social services, there's sort of this balance between, you know, you're, you're supporting your workers because they're the ones directly working with families. Um, and there, there have been some instances where maybe you may have to step in and do some of that work yourself. So would you be able to kind of share a little bit more of just that balance between sort of like when you would sort of take on that role of maybe going to see a family versus more so just supporting and guiding a worker? Yeah, um, there's different reasons for us supervisors to kind of go back to that role. So, for example, last week, uh, a worker who wasn't actually in my unit, she needed to conduct a face-to-face -face, um, with a child for the month because the, the brief contact she had with the child wasn't sufficient enough. It didn't meet our requirements of having that monthly face-to-face -face with a child when we have an open case. And honestly, it happened to be on my way home from work. So I said, hey, instead of you driving all the way over here to have to go back to the office and then go in the complete opposite direction home, I have no problem doing it on my way home from work. Um, it kind of gets me back into that conducting that side of a visit, which I haven't done one of those in several years. Um, so it was nice. So I offered to do it and she, of course, said yes and took me up on my offer. So I conducted the monthly face-to-face -face visit for her. So that would be an opportunity more as like, a, I, it's already on my way home. And other coworkers will even do that or other supervisors will even do it like, look, we're, we already live over there. Let me just do this follow-up for you. Um, so that way you guys can focus on other priorities and we'll go out and take care of this part for you. So we'll do that. It's like, a, you know, taking a team approach to it again. Um, or right now we, we just have an abundance of work. We work in a field where we're always going to have work, unfortunately. Um, sometimes uh, more uh, calls are made to our hotline than others. So right now it's one of the higher times. And our staff are just getting overwhelmed with getting assigned, um, you know, new investigations or new cases. So we as supervisors are just taking it upon ourselves to conduct some of those initial investigations or however, you know, it needs to go to try to help our workers feel like, okay, there's one less they have to worry about this week. Um, so again, last week I had a couple of workers out um, just because of the holiday and I felt bad reassigning their stuff to the two workers in my unit that were still there. So I went out and did all their ones that were due over the weekend while we were out. So that was like five or six referrals that I went out into the field to do on Wednesday. Okay, so then, um, yeah, what I'm hearing is certainly sort of a team approach, a supportive approach to be able to uh, 
really allow others to focus, like you said, on the priorities, but also allow others to have capacity to do more of their work because it's sort of spread a little bit out and not so much just focused on one individual or you know, a few individuals. Um, so with that, I mean, I, I think it really goes into, let's just say if I'm a worker and I'm, I'm thinking about going into a supervisor role, there's obviously some in a way, new responsibilities that I might be taking on. Um, going into our next question, there, there's a little bit of also that being able to have that trust in, in, in my workers to be able to, to you know, manage their roles, manage their, their workload. Um, so how have you been able to develop that uh, sort of, I guess, I don't know if it's a skill set or experience of being able to have that, those new responsibilities and be able to shift some of that trust to your workers too? Mm-hmm. Um, So it's a combination of things. First of all, at the beginning, we have a lot of conversations with each other. So my staff are, you know, directed to call me after every time they meet with a family or every time they meet with the kid or whatever it is, um, they are to call me afterwards so we can discuss how the interview went. Um, And then, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Oh, yeah, you asked this question. Great follow up question. So trying to give them some encouraging uh, feedback while we're doing it or also like, oh, okay, uh, you know, it sounds like this part was missed or whatever, or I didn't hear you tell me anything about this. Did you ask about this? If they say no, then I'm quick to say, okay, I really need you to, you know, have another contact with that child or with the family and really ask a little bit more about this. And here are some different ways you can ask them about this specific topic. So just trying to give them feedback like that. And then the longer we work together on that daily basis, the less frequent it gets because now they're learning when they call me, they need to tell me these five different things. And then that's really like the important stuff. That's the important part of it. And then it can get less and less frequent because if they go out and they weren't able to answer yes to any of those five concerning things, then there's not a concern there. And I'm, I trust that they didn't find a concern when they interviewed the family. And so we can just move forward from there. So it does get the, the, the daily amount of phone calls we have or conversations we have do get less and less outside of genuine concerns that arise with a family situation. And it's just kind of practice. That's what makes you build the trust. <laughs> so makes sense. that makes sense. Yeah. So it's, it's being able to, to kind of learn um, sort of understanding both from a worker standpoint, how, how does my supervisor operate and, and, and how, how do mm-hmm. they sort of, what, what type of information are they seeking? And then vice versa, you know, like how, how the supervisor can learn about their worker and, and be able to kind of see how they can support their worker in, in, in the best way too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and even still like with that, uh, when I read their contact notes or their narratives, Um, because I already know like there's 10 things we have to cover every time we go out and talk to a family. If I notice, uh, you know, there's two of them that are missing just by reading their information and it has nothing to do with the conversation, I'll bring it up to their attention and say, Hey, I noticed when I read this, these two things were missing. Did you just forget to put them in or, you know, was there a problem with getting that information from the family and just kind of hearing what it is they have to say about it. Oftentimes it really is that, they just forgot to document it because documentation takes up a lot of time and 
you just kind of get into robot mode and you just sometimes forget some of the stuff you have to put in there. So and a good, uh, good sort of check-in, but also openness uh, that it could be a lot of different things for, for the worker um, in, mm -hmm. in their documentation. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Now, I, I think, you know, this is a, sort of a big topic as well, just sort of as a supervisor, like being able to, to have that balance, being able to have those boundaries of, okay, when, when am I extending myself too much? And, and when am I, you know, um, able to still stay within the capacity to where I could serve as a supervisor? So, you know, mm -hmm. how have you been able to maintain those sort of boundaries and balance to be able to give yourself the best capacity for, to serve your workers? Mm -hmm. Um. I have not always been the greatest at it. And even still, you know, here we are a little over a year later and there are still times where I'm like, oh no, I should have not answered the phone that time or whatever it is. Um, it takes a lot of someone kind of calling me out too um, and being open to that. And it's not even always a manager telling me, hey, uh, you really need to like not do this or whatever it is. Um, sometimes it's another supervisor um, more often than not, it really is my direct report staff telling me, um, hey, you know, I noticed that you answered your phone last night at eight o'clock. I'm going to be calling you at eight o'clock again tonight. Okay. Like just kind of assuming I'm going to do that and recognizing like, oh, shoot, I kind of already made it, it seem like it's okay to call me that late. And I don't want to be in that practice because then that is not me you know, handling my balance and setting up boundaries very well for myself. And so what I started doing is um, really paying attention to my own physical signs. Um, you know, my eyeballs will start stinging a lot and I know I'm tired. I've been on the computer way too long or whatever it is. Or I noticed I have been talking to them a lot today because my throat is really dry and I have like a scratchy voice. And so I'm like, okay, maybe I was talking to them a little bit too much today and I can step back from that even, and um, maybe just check in via a quick text or really rely on if they have a question or concern, they'll contact me rather than me contact them. Um, but then really for like the balance thing, I have also implemented um, a few times a week, not every day, but a few times a week where I tell them all, I absolutely am not available after whatever time tonight. So unless somebody's out in the field, because it can be an emergency. How, so if you have anything you need to let me know, it's got to be done by this time because I'm not going to be on my phone and it has to wait till tomorrow. And so they have been really great about that. And then it helps model it for them too, because I, I don't like hearing and I'm more of a, you know, I'm not good at practicing what I preach, but I'm encouraging them to practice it for themselves. I don't like to hear them come in on a Monday saying, oh yeah, I talked to this mom yesterday. And I'm like, wait a second, it's Sunday. Why are you answering your phone on a Sunday? Well, they called, I recognize the number. No, 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 no. Unless it's an emergency or you knew like you had to be available for their phone call on Sunday. What are you going to do if you answer that call and there's a genuine emergency? Like you can't go out there and respond. You would have to maybe call law enforcement or maybe call our hotline, which is what they can do as well if there is a genuine emergency going on. Otherwise, it can wait until you're back in the office um, because otherwise it takes up all of our time. This job is can be 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's why we have shifts 
that function 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, so we have to we have to work hard at balancing that. Absolutely, I 100% agree on that because then it it could be really easily to to burn out uh, faster mm-hmm. by by sort of putting in like you said the 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, so I. I think this was sort of an additive question that I've been thinking about. So with mm-hmm. kind of the ways that you've set up those boundaries and, and trying to encourage balance and, and trying to model that yourself, what have you noticed any sort of like just impacts that that's had, you know, just in your role as a supervisor or even the impact that it's had on your workers? Um, yeah, I can say that I feel more rested at times, which allows me to focus a lot better because if you're tired, um, you know, you're not quite sitting still because maybe you don't want to doze off or something like that. So sitting still is part of our job because we do a lot of computer work. And if you're going to be dozing off or you can't read something or you have to reread something 10 times, you're essentially wasting time doing that task. So it's helped me rest better. It's helped me, um, you know, kind of get away from the workday, shut it off at a certain time, pick it up the back the next day because the stuff doesn't end. So it's always going to be there, um, which then allows me to be fresh for my staff. Um, I can maybe think of new ideas or encourage them in some way that I may not have been able to do the day before because of not balancing uh, right or enough. So I think uh, that has been, you know, ha- or that has had a positive impact on staff and then even seeing them start to balance more. And I, I have made it a point to bring it up to them when I've observed like, oh my gosh, good job. You didn't answer your phone. Like, thank you. Or, uh, I don't even know. It's typically like answering the phone or responding to a text. Like, okay, just because I send you a text at eight o'clock at night does not mean you need to respond to it. It's just because I don't want to forget myself and so you can answer it the next day or whatever it is. So um, just even noticing when they've started to implement some of that stuff themselves is, is great to see. I mean, two things definitely that you said that stood out was one of them being able to just recognize and check in with yourself to notice, hey, what, what are those symptoms that are happening? And being able to you know reflect and say like, hey, I might need to slow down here. I might need to really be mindful that something's happening for me here that's out of the ordinary, that it's mm-hmm. maybe throwing me out of balance. And then the second thing was just being very specific with how you're acknowledging um, something positive that they've done or something that you wanted to highlight, because then the more specific you're able to be, the more that they're like, oh, wow, like this is something that someone else is noticing. Mm-hmm. And it's something I can really pinpoint that I'm doing very well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been really trying to be specific and mm-hmm. point out like those examples to them. So they know that I am, I have observed them do it. I am noticing what they're doing. I am uh, proud of them for taking every little step, you know, to get this job done. So, yeah. Kudos to you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So yeah, I, um, I know we're, we're getting through our, our questions and we're getting to the end of our, our episode today. So wonder, you know, ask to see, you know, were there any final takeaways or, or last words you'd wanted to share? Um, just for anybody wanting to be a supervisor, don't be afraid. 
it does bring a lot of responsibility, a lot of different challenges that you did not experience as a line worker necessarily. Um, but it's still, um, you know, like a great step to take because you are now learning stuff that you just had no idea as to the background or the backstory or why things are done a certain way. Um, and I'm specifically talking about things that have nothing to do with policy or law. We all are trained in policy and law, but there are still internal processes that are done, at least within our county, that you don't know anything about until you're in this role. Or having conversations with other supervisors about how we can try to make it better for our staff, how we can help build morale, how we can get this worker's caseload under control because it's really bad. Like, let's come together. What are some ideas? What are things we can do? And, and line workers don't always know that those conversations are going on um, because unless you're privy to it, how would you know? Um, and that, you know, as a supervisor, you even have an opportunity to go to bat for your workers or, or you just, you're learning stuff that you just, again, did not even know existed. And it, it's another eye-opening experience. Just like when you first became a worker, you're learning so much about social services that you did not know even existed. It's all such an eye-opener. And even if we don't agree with everything, at least you have the background for it and you know why things must be done a certain way. Makes sense. And yeah, definitely great encouragement on that end of just sort of what, what it may look like on the other side that uh, a worker could expect going into a supervisor mm -hmm. role or even how to at least have another layer of preparation for them too. So, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank yeah. you. So yeah, I definitely want to say thank you so much to our guest today, uh, Christine. Really appreciate um, having you on and most certainly um, thank you to our listeners as always. Take care.